you brought your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We're in this series we're calling Kingdom Concepts, <clears throat> where we're looking at the, the uh, Gospel of Matthew and looking at what he teaches us, what we learn about Jesus, what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom. Because Christianity, living in this Christian life down here, is living in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God on earth. Let your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We're the kingdom down here. So we're learning kingdom principles that usually don't line up with uh, the way we naturally think because they're not natural principles. And Matthew chapter 20 gives us a story like that. Now, <clears throat> we're going to read this in just a minute, but let me, let me lay a little bit of a groundwork here. In the Old Testament, there's the story of Moses who is leading the Israelites to conquer the promised land that God promised to them. And Moses puts together the army of Israel to go against the army of the people in the land. And so you got these two massive armies coming together, one against another. And I don't know how they did warfare back then, but I suppose it was with swords and bows and arrows and spears and that kind of primitive primitive kind of weaponry where you have to be right up on top of a person to do that kind of combat. And Moses lifts up his hands to God. You know, the Bible talks about in several places lifting up holy hands to God. So Moses lifts up his hands, and as long as his hands are up there, Israel is winning the battle. But Moses is getting old. And when you get old, you get tired. Some of you young people don't understand that yet, but you will someday. And you can't hold stuff up like you used to. It just gets heavier, and you get weaker, and his arms got lower and lower. And the lower his arms got, the more the enemy began to win the battle against Israel. So Moses would get it up there again and lift, lift his hands as far as he could up in the sky and he just got wearying. And so his brother Aaron came up on one side, and his brother-in-law Hur came up on the other side, and each of them helped him hold up his hands to God. So Israel was able to win the battle. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to win, I want to win the battles in my life. I don't want to lose those battles. I want to win those battles. And the only way I can do that is to keep focused on God. And I need some helpers to come along and help me sometimes, don't you? So who was the most important player in this story? Was it Moses who had promises from God, who had the staff that God, God said, just stretch it out over the water and the water will part and, and just do whatever you want with that staff. It's going to represent my power in your life. Was it Moses, the most important player? Or was it Aaron and Hur who came along and helped us hold his hands up? Because they would have lost the battle had Moses done it all by himself. Who is the most important player? I don't think we can call that. I don't think we can make that call. Because I think they all were a part of the solution. So who had the most important position? I think they all had an important position. What's your position in the kingdom of God? I want to talk today about position 
in the kingdom. Let's read this in uh, Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. <clears throat> then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the other ten disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Zebedee's mother wanted her sons to succeed. Don't you? Doesn't every parent want our sons and daughters to thrive, to succeed, to have open doors, to be able to make more of their life than we did? Of course. I think we're, we saw in the news last couple weeks an example of people wanting to prosper their children, get them in a better school, get them in a better education. I think all of us want more for our children than we had for ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. So here's the first thing I want us to see from our story about position in the kingdom from God's perspective. Position is precious. To be in the right position at the right time means everything. And everybody needs to find our position in the kingdom. Position is precious. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, and by the way, bishop means overseer, superintendent, the one who's, who's uh, overseeing everything else, he desires a good work. It doesn't say he's greedy. doesn't say he's ambitious. It says if you want to be a coach, a guide, a mentor, if you want to oversee the work of God or the work of your business, if you want to climb to the top, it's a good thing to be a leader, influencer over other people. It doesn't mean you're selfish. It doesn't mean it's all about you and you got a big ego. 
we should all try to, we should all strive to thrive in whatever we do. We should prosper at whatever we set our hand to. It's a good thing. Position is precious. Now, what the mother wants is one of her sons to sit at Jesus' right hand. That's the position of authority. And the other at the left. The closest to Jesus in the kingdom, she wants her two sons. She's asking a favor of Jesus. But Jesus clearly says, that's a favor I can't grant. It's not mine to give. My father arranges that. Father God arranges the positions of the players. I'll use the illustration of a chess board. If you know anything about chess, you know you have all these pieces on the board. And if you're going to play the game of chess, you have to understand what each of those pieces, each of those chess men, each of those players play. You know, some are, some are pawns, and they, can, they, they, they either move two spaces, first step, or they move one. And then from then on, it's only one. And then you have these different players that move diagonally or, or horizontally or, um, I guess I shouldn't say horizontally, they move this way or that way. And then you got the knights. Tricky. Because they can get in positions, and if you, don't, if you don't think ahead, he can sneak attack you. What's the most valuable player on your board? You are in charge of the player, the, the chessmen on your side, and your opponent is in charge of the chessmen on their, their side. And what you're doing in chess is you're strategizing. You're trying to set the enemy up for a sneak attack. Come and take my pawn so I can get you. And so we strategize all these players and what they, can, what, they can, what they can do. Well, God isn't trying to get us, but I believe he places us in strategic positions from his perspective. And I don't always understand why I'm where I am. And I don't always like where I am. But you see, Father God has a strategic plan, and he's put me where I am for a reason. And I may not always stay right there, because he's going to move me. Which takes us to the second point. Position is prepared by the Father. Not only is the position prepared, but the players are prepared for the position. I have to be able to say now at this point in my life, looking back over my life, I can see that from the time I was a child, God was preparing me for where I am today. Didn't always like it. It's no fun when all the neighborhood kids get together and the big guys pick who's going to play on their ball team and who's going to play on the other. It's no fun being the littlest kid in the neighborhood and getting picked last. That's humiliating. But I was picked last to set me up for things I would have to deal with later in life. 
I didn't understand it at the time. Didn't like it a bit. God let me go through numerous times of rejection and failure and pain and disappointment because he's preparing me for much greater things I was going to have to go through. He's also let me experience some great times of blessing and breakthroughs because he never wants me to give up hope that God will do it again. Does that speak for you too? He's setting us up for the position he wants us to be in. He has been preparing you all this time for what's just ahead for you. And you don't know what that is. But you have to rest in the fact you are a child of God. And God watches over you just like a father watches over his little toddler son. You got to let the son get out there and, and try to ride the bike and try to do this and try to do that. And you know they're going to get hurt, but you want them to grow up. So you have to let them do it. That's what Father God does with us. He's preparing us for the future. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says it like this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. My purpose is to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God is preparing us to do good works that he is preparing us to do. God wants to get something done, and he can't get it done without you. Amen. So he's preparing you to get in there and do it. I don't know what that is, but I'm excited about the opportunity. And if we'll keep that in the front of our mind, we won't be afraid of the opportunity when God opens the door. Because he's prepared us for this. So position is precious, number one. Number two, position is prepared by the Father. And the third thing I want us to see is seeking position, going after it, seeking position produces division. Did you notice that the mother of James and John, and I don't know about you, but if, if my mom tries to set me up with something that I don't want, I'm going to speak to her. James and John didn't argue with their mom. They were letting her pull strings to get them a better position. And notice the reaction of the other ten disciples. It immediately divided their unity. So you think you're better than us? So you think you deserve some special treatment over us? And it caused division. Had they just allowed God to have his way in everything, they would, find, they would find out what their position is. But they didn't trust Father God. They're trying to manipulate it themselves. It's the downfall of the American church when we cease letting the Father be the Father. And we try to orchestrate God's will for ourselves. It generates competition in the kingdom. 
churches degenerate to a democracy where the will of the people wins rather than the will of God. You see the difference? We become competitive in the church over who's going to, who gets to do this and who gets to do that and who, who gets to decide becomes competition and produces division. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 out of the message version, I, way, I love the way, the picturesque way it says it. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I love the way that's worded. He just, he just says it so uh, in, in such a way I can see it. I can see what God wants me to do. He wants me to get me out of the way and help somebody else thrive. Help somebody else win. Help somebody else be successful. Be not deceived, Paul says. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, gives away, he reaps. So if you want to succeed in the workplace, the key to the kingdom for doing that is to help somebody else succeed in the workplace. Oh, well, Pastor Deal, if I help that, they might get promoted over me. Yeah, they just might. The father's in charge of position, not me. Seeking, produce, seeking position produces division, competition. We become worldly-minded, which takes us to number four. Chasing position is the world's practice. The world does this all the time. Isn't that what elections are all about? Position. Vote for me. I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. Position. I want to give you old, two Old Testament scriptures that talk about this relational side of being in the church. <clears throat> uh, the competition that's there. One of them is a negative and the other is a positive. Let's start with the negative. It's uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 4. The preacher says, I realized the reason people work hard and try to succeed. They're jealous of each other. This too is useless, like chasing the wind. Being jealous of each other, isn't that competition? We're all trying to win over the other person. We don't want them to succeed over us. So we're we're, we're busy. We're climbing the ladder of success in life. And if we got to boot some people off on the way up, so be it. We got to get to the top. I've learned that if God wants that, 
he'll, he'll put us on the top. Whether we like it or not, he'll put us at the top. And sometimes when you're at the top, you don't want it. You don't like it. That's the negative. Competition in the kingdom. Envy. Here's the positive, though. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, if, if, if you like watching those chef shows on TV where they de teach you how to cook, they'll take, they'll take two knives and they'll, they'll work them together, you know, and sharpen, take their little tiny burrs off, off the ends with whipping those knives together. Iron sharpens iron. Just like one man sharpens another. I don't like to argue, but I learn something every time I do. If I will just sit down and listen to my wife and see her perspective, it takes a lot of the edge off the argument. Because she is seeing the same thing I'm seeing, she's just seeing it from another, per, another perspective. Husbands and wives polish each other. If we'll listen. If we won't listen, then it becomes chaos. I'll say this. I don't want to get, I'm not going to get into politics this morning, but I am a conservative. And nobody's going to change my mind because I've spent all these years thinking it through. But I enjoy talking to a liberal because it teaches me something from another perspective that I hadn't thought of. It sharpens me. It helps me solidify my values, my views, my perspective. I'll listen to you. I'll listen to your ideas. You're not going to change my mind because I've already thought it through. But I appreciate your perspective. It helps me become a better person. So if, if all you listen to is information that you agree with, you're kind of dull. You need to sharpen your perspective and know why you believe what you believe. That's all I'm going to say about politics. Chasing position is the world's practice. This is how the world does it. Here's number five. Position is attained by promoting others. You promote somebody else. You help someone else advance. You help somebody else get better at what they're doing, and God will send somebody along to help you become better at what you're doing. You reap what you sow. It's what you give away, like Christ gave away his life so that others could live. If we can, we're not talking about committing suicide or putting ourselves in a place where somebody shoots us. We're talking about giving up our selfish ego, giving up our control of time and money so that we can invest in someone else. It's being someone else's servant. He even uses the word slave. If we'll be someone else, if we will sacrifice our own, what we want for what someone else wants, God will turn around and give us what we want. And I love it when I see God do that. 
It's altogether different than when I do it for myself. But when I see God provide for me, and I can see what, that it was Him and what motivated Him, it's so fulfilling. Give His life is what our text says. It's what Jesus said. Someone's got to give His life or give her life. We have to give away our selfishness. In other words, if you become invaluable to God... If you become such a valuable player, he can't find anybody else to do what you're doing the way you do it. Then why would God not want to prosper you and open the doors and help you stay in that position of service if you become valuable? If you're not, if you're not valuable, why have it? I mean, I don't know about you other men, but I got a toolbox full of tools. And some of those tools are invaluable. I have, to, I have to have the Phillips screwdriver. I can't fix anything without a Phillips screwdriver. But I got some other tools in there that I hardly ever use. If I lost it, if somebody stole it out of my toolbox, I'd probably never miss it. Because how long has it been since I needed that thing? I want to be a valuable tool in the Lord's toolbox. I want to I be in such a position that God can't find anybody else to do a better job at something than me. I want to put myself in that kind of position. Because God arranges positions. And if I want a better position in life, I've got to make myself invaluable to God. And indispensable part of his arsenal. And so do you. So the question is, who's going to sit at his right hand and who's going to sit at his left in the kingdom? Who's going to be in these key positions in this kingdom? We get the answer to that in Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. Jesus said, to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus was able to give up his life by going to the cross, sacrificing what was valuable to him, his human life and everything he had, he had uh, become in 33 years on the planet. He sacrificed that to pay the price for our sin and then he had the right to sit on the throne. So whoever of us becomes an overcomer, overcoming the obstacles in life, if we become overcomers, he's going to allow us to sit on his throne with him. But we have to be an overcomer just like he overcome. And how did he overcome? He laid down his life for us. So how do I become an overcomer? I've got to lay down my selfish will for someone else. I've got to invest in someone else. Every, every, uh, let me illustrate this. Every church has official leaders and unofficial leaders. In the early days of my ministry, before I was pastoring, before I was your pastor here, um, I was asked to be an interim pastor at a couple other churches. 
Now, interim means temporary. I knew I was not a candidate to be a pastor of that church. I knew that right up front. I knew that I was in there to preach on a Sunday morning an uplifting, encouraging message. I wasn't supposed to straighten problems out. I was supposed to encourage people, build it up. And I knew I was supposed to be meeting with, with uh, key people, making sure that balls didn't get dropped, everybody was doing what they should do. I was encouraging them, being a cheerleader. Uh, and I knew it was all temporary. I knew the time was coming. After a couple months, I would be out of there, and they would be appointing a new pastor. I knew that. One of the, and, and when I went into one of those churches, I knew who the elders were, and I knew who the deacons were. I knew who the Sunday school superintendent was. I knew those key players in the church. They had official positions. But what I didn't know was who are the unofficial leaders. You know, the influencers, the people that influence others. I didn't know that. But it didn't take me long to figure it out. Because they were the magnets after church was over. They were the people that they would get in a, they would get over here and people would come to them. They, want, they wanted to know, everybody wanted to know what they thought. And they didn't have any position. Oh, yes, they did. They had an unofficial position and they were influential. They were the movers and the shakers. And I knew that if we were going to make any changes, if we were going to do anything in that church, I needed to figure out who those people were. And I need to talk to them. I need to get their amen. Let me close with this story. As we're talking about position. Most of us have never heard the name Gerald Moore. He was a, a piano accompanist. You know, somebody sings a solo and they play the piano to accompany the person doing the solo. Never got his name in lights. It was the soloists that got their name in lights. Come and hear so-and-so uh, sing in, in concert. And Gerald Moore became so good at it that everybody that had a big name in, in singing wanted Gerald Moore to accompany them because he never missed a key. He was always right on every time, and everybody knew it. In 1943, he wrote a book called The Unashamed Accompanist, which was all about the art of being number two. The art of recognizing that your job is to make the soloist sound good. But nobody even notice you're there. That was his job. How many people want to be an unashamed accompanist? I don't want my name in lights. I don't want everybody looking at me. If they look at me, it's because I made a mistake. I want to be invisible, and I want to help the soloist sound good. That's a companyist. I think 
there's a position in the kingdom of God that could be called a companist. Actually, there is. King James calls it a helper. I come along to help someone else. I'm not seeking position, but I want to help someone else achieve position. I want to help someone else be successful. I want to help someone else be invaluable. Like the story of the lady I told last week, who's, I, I went to her and I said, would, would you teach a Sunday school class for kids? And she said, no. Nobody tells Pastor Deal no. I mean, not like that. I mean, let me pray about it, then I'll tell you no. She just said no. She said, I will help anybody, but I don't want to teach. And she became one of the most faithful helpers year after year in our church, helping someone else. She wanted to be an unashamed accompanist. Her position was helper, like Aaron and her holding up Moses' hands. I want to be a helper. I would much rather sit in the back row back there and listen and make a note or two on things that speak to me. I don't want to be the guy that's got to pour over note after note after note and get together a, a message that will appeal to everybody and satisfy everybody. I'd just rather sit back there and listen. But God's put me in this position, so I got to do the best I can. I don't seek this position, but I'll serve God in it. The greatest position I feel like I have is helping you succeed, giving you the spiritual tools you need, giving you the, the motivation, the inspiration to stay at it, to stay faithful in spite of obstacles and be an overcomer because it's overcomers that get to sit on his throne. How do we get that position? We overcome. We stay faithful. And when obstacles come up and difficult people get in our way and things don't work out like we planned, we still stay faithful to God. That's overcoming. God wants you to become an overcomer. And if God, when I get to heaven, which is a long time off, by the way, when I get to heaven, I expect God to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. And it will be because there's a whole lot of other people got there ahead of me and a whole lot of other people going to follow me. Because I cannot get stuck looking at today and this world. I've got to look at the future and the big picture. And I plan on spending eternity with Father God. So the price I pay down here is really insignificant to be in the right position in heaven forever. And that's not, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. Let's get in that, let's get in a position I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to wrap it up. But God keeps giving me these thoughts. You know, we may think position isn't anything, but if you've ever played on a basketball team, you know position is everything. If you've ever played on a baseball team, you know if they put you on first base position, nobody wants you wandering around out in the outfield. You need to stay on target. 
If you know anything about football, you know that position is everything. Where is your position? Do you know your position in the kingdom? We need to find out what that is and realize there is no position that God establishes that is insignificant. We're all key players. And we've got to see ourselves as key players. Let's stand together. I appreciate you. I value you. You are not too old for the king to use. You do not have such a bad history that God can't use you. You are a part of the kingdom. And the things of your past have made you what you are so that you can be fit for the position he wants to put you in. You may have done things that made you look like a loser, but nobody is a loser in the kingdom of God. We are winners. Lord, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters in this room, and I pray for myself that you will help us be overcomers. Help us not to compromise the values that we know you hold dear. Father, help us to be the people of God you've called us to be. Help us to keep our eyes on the big picture. Help us to understand that one of these days we'll be in heaven and you have already, or you are right now, preparing us for the positions we'll have up there. So God, we just want to be faithful. Help us to be faithful, and we've learned from the story today that the way we're faithful is to serve someone else to empty ourselves of our selfish ego and ambition and serve someone else so that that will release the Holy Spirit to return that on us. So God, help us to be givers so we can be receivers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You young people, if you worked on that outline and come and show me you did, I'll give you a hug. Okay? Go with God. He loves you.